you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning's reading is from Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Hope you are well. Uh, Before we jump in this morning, uh, some more exciting family news. Uh, Not this Thursday just went, but the Thursday before that, little Etta Emmanuel Tupas was born to Dan and Liz Tupas with little brother Ira, uh, well, big brother now, Ira. Um, and yeah, cool meaning for the name, Etta, meaning little one, um, and wait till you meet her, it, it matches. Um, and Emmanuel, God with us. Um, so yeah, great, great names there for, for little Etta. Keep Dan and Liz in your prayers. Um, also, last Monday uh, night, we had our um, City on Hill Movement AGM, um, and it was a good night together, and at that AGM, we uh, got to be there for it and witness the inauguration of our uh, local church council. Um, so that's really exciting for our church. Uh, and we also saw uh, Victoria uh, Vibhaka be... Um, inaugurated to our risk committee. Uh, so great representation from our uh, Brisbane City on a Hill Church um, yeah, across what's happening in our movement. Um, before we dive into our text, how about we pray for those couple of things. Let's pray for Dan and Liz. Let's pray for our council. Let's pray for our different committees uh, and give it all to God this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, yeah, that you are our good Father in heaven, that you are our creator, that you have created all things uh, and you have created little Etta, you have created her perfectly according to um, your will and your ways for her life. We thank you for uh, her health, we thank you for Liz's health and we thank you that you are with the entire two family. Help us to love them and support them uh, during uh, this new season for them. And Father, we pray for, uh, or thank you for our uh, local church council. Thank you that that has finally been officially inaugurated. And um, yeah, we pray for Alexandra, we pray for Syme, we pray for Sarah, we pray for Jace. We pray you would be with them, uh, step into this role and learn um, alongside the rest of us how all of this works. And we thank you for Victoria as well, um, how she's already contributed uh, to our risk committee to help uh, make our church a safer place right across the board. Um, we thank you so much for just the incredible men and women that you bless us with in our church family to uh, help us to love and serve one another and to ultimately help us to know you and make you known in all of Brisbane. We pray for our time together this morning in your word. Uh, help us to look at what is happening here in Joshua, to see how it spoke to your people then and see how it is speaking to us today. Uh, we pray that you would ready our hearts, um, give us uh, concentration and enthusiasm to hear your word and be shaped and equipped by you. For your glory we pray. Amen. Uh, well, uh, we've actually got quite a lot to cover this morning. Um, our teaching text is actually chapters 3, 4 and 5. Um, if you were to go and read those chapters by themselves, they are each, there's a, there's a full 35, 40 minute sermon on each chapter. Um, so please bear with me, it means I am going to disappoint some of you this morning with my lack of depth. All right, I'm not going to be able to go right into everything that's happening in every chapter, but I hope um, that this morning, uh, it means that as a church, God in His kindness is going to help us to see something that will not only help us for today, for this week coming, but will actually help our entire church, all of us together for this year, and God willing, for the many years that we will enjoy together as a church family. Uh, this chunk of chapters 3, 4 and 5, it can be approached together as they are thematically on the same page. They're pointing to the same major points. So firstly, uh, the story so far. Chapter one, we saw that Moses is dead. Uh, Israel's great famous leader Moses has died. Uh, young Joshua is charged to take over. Uh, but it's, even though it's a new leader, it's the same promise from the same God. So God comes to Joshua in chapter 1, he says, be strong and courageous, I have given this land into your hands, simply don't stray from my word, trust and obey. Uh, and the same promises he gave to Moses and the Israelites under Moses, he's now given to Joshua and the Israelites under Joshua. Then chapter 2, we saw last week that Joshua sends in a couple of spies across the, the river into the land of Canaan to especially go and check out Jericho and they encounter Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute and this, this astounding situation happens where uh, this foreign woman who worships foreign pagan gods has this incredible confession of trust and uh, reliance on the might and mercy of the one true God, Yahweh and that brings such an incredible encouragement to the spies who 
then take that back to Joshua and the people. It's a, a good news story that uh, didn't turn out the last, like the last time when Moses sent spies into the land and they came back, caused the people to rebel, for, uh, rebel and be in the wilderness for 40-odd years. Uh, but this time, a good report comes back, trusting in God's sovereignty, God's plan. Uh, and so here we are today, uh, chapter 3, we are finally crossing over the Jordan River. Now, chapter 4 uh, sort of works as a bit of a hinge between these chapters. And it's where the weight of this chunk sits. And really, the, the best way to think about it is just one word, remembering. Now, we're not all that unfamiliar with remembering. We think about Anzac Day. Every year on April 25th, we gather at a whole bunch of places around Australia, even around different parts in the world, to remember those who fought on our behalf to protect our freedoms, gave their lives that we could live in this free country how we do today. We're not unfamiliar with this process of remembering, of thinking back to something. So let's dive into these chapters and let's see why we remember and what we're remembering. If there's one thing that you can remember from this morning, I pray it's this. God leads the way and makes a way, therefore remember. God leads the way and he makes a way, therefore remember. First point, God leads the way and makes a way. The entire setup of chapter 3 is designed to emphasise dependence upon Yahweh, Israel, the one true God. Um, but let's start diving into it. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, then the officers went through the camp. I was listening to a sermon by a preacher called Alistair Begg uh, during the last couple of weeks about this particular chapter and he pointed out something really interesting that I hadn't quite seen uh, and I don't think I'd seen it because it's only in these first few words but after years and years of waiting in the desert, of walking around the wilderness, years upon years upon years of waiting for God to come true on his promises and to see all of that happen, the people finally get the call to start heading down towards the Jordan. They know that all they've got to do is cross the Jordan River and get into Canaan and now they're in to the promised land and what does God do? Makes them wait. They wait for another three days on the bank of the Jordan River and Alistair Begg brought out this really uh, interesting um, application from that and it's so true for us today. We're not a culture that likes to wait. We're a, a microwave society. Everything is instant. I can get access to information straight away. Um, last night, I wanted to know if tonic water is good for you or bad for you, like that quinine stuff that's in it. Like, how good's that? Um, I looked that up, and within a few seconds, I understood that it's good at killing malaria. Um, but if you have too much of it, it's also going to make you sick. I just figured that out last night, like instantly, by looking at my phone. That's how information is so easily accessible for us. Um, we can plan everything in our lives within like a matter of hours. We can sit down, we can book flights, book accommodation, we can know where we're going to be at what moment. And the crazy thing, and I reckon mums with a couple of kids probably get this, is you can be 
doing a particular task, but you're also thinking about the next task you've got to get done because our society is so busy and consistent and it's always happening and all of you are like, Zach, shut up because I know. Everything is just always happening at such a high speed and so let's just take a moment and see in the text here that God causes his people to wait yet again. After years and years in the desert, they finally get down to the river it looks like they're about to cross over and start that part of the journey and God says, wait another three days. It's a part of setting up the posture of the people right now because what happens next? Uh, verse 4, oh sorry, like to give the context, verse 3 continues and the com- he commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Verse 4, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, uh, for you have not passed this way before. Thinking about the posture that God is wanting the people of Israel to be in as they're coming to this incredible situation. Firstly, he makes them wait again to sit and just wait in God's timing and God's sovereignty. Secondly, he tells them to wait for the Ark of the Covenant to lead the way. What was the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was a box, um, a very pretty well-designed, very well-made box, which you can read about in Exodus 25, but it was a box that represented God's very presence on the earth. The presence of God didn't uh, live inside this box as if God can be contained to it or as if this box was some sort of like um, idol statue that we could go and worship, but it was the representation of God's holy presence. So when the people saw it, there was this... Um, familiarity with that is the presence of God leading us. It can be, um, it can be uh, sort of tied back to when God was leading the people through the wilderness by a cloud during the day or a pillar of fire at night. It's the visible representation of the very presence of God on earth. So there is part of this, don't go near it, reminding ourselves that God is holy. He's utterly holy, utterly other than you and I are. And we're told back in other parts of the Old Testament that they were not to approach the Ark of the Covenant um, except for very particular ways, particular people at particular times in particular ways. And there are examples throughout the Old Testament where people got that wrong and faced death. The Ark of the Covenant is God's holy, the representation of God's holy presence on the earth. But the other point of this is that you may know the way you go, you have to go because you have not been this way before. Keep your distance from it so you can see which way the presence of God is leading you and so you can take in the full picture of this miraculous situation that's about to unfold before their eyes. If they're too close up to it, it's going to be hard for them to really see what's happening, where it's going, and to really appreciate what's happening with this miracle of crossing over the Jordan. So again, there's this posture thing. They've waited. Now they're understanding that the presence of God is the very thing that is leading them. It's, It's God's holiness, but they keep this distance so that they can keep their eyes fixed on the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the word Ark is used 17 times just in chapters 3 and 4. So the, the author has been very intentional there. Do not lose sight of the Ark. Do not lose sight of the presence of God leading 
his people. And then verse 5, Joshua continues and says, uh, then he said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Again, another point of posturing themselves correctly before the Lord. The Lord is about to do something among them that is wondrous, that is amazing, that is miraculous, that is totally outside the power and control of the people to do themselves. And so Joshua says, go and consecrate yourselves. Now, this is probably something we're not very familiar with, consecrate, an old Bible word, um, but it pretty much it's an attitude of repentance and holiness. There would have been confession of sin, there would have been abstaining from sexual relationships, there would have been a ritual washing and probably even wearing clean clothes the next day. The people consecrate themselves and now they are set up to witness God powerfully move. Verse 10 and 11 sort of give us the, the big why behind it all. Verse, verse 10, And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, uh, the Girgashites, the Ammonites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. The people were postured to witness God at work. They had waited on God. They had been told to keep their distance, to keep their eyes fixed on God, leading their way. They've been told to consecrate themselves, to make themselves ready to see God's power at work. And now God begins his incredible work. Before going any further on that, I, I was starting to think, what's our response to this text? What's our response sitting here in 2023, thinking about God's sovereignty, God's holiness, God's might and mercy? What's our response as people who know that we are sinners, who have been saved uh, for and by Jesus Christ, only by his incredible grace and mercy towards us? What is it that you and I are preparing ourselves for. I think there's good application for us to think about what our lives look like, the busyness and the consistency and just the continuance of thing after thing after thing, of being in one thing and already thinking about the next thing, about being countercultural to the world around us and finding ways of pulling back on the stresses of life, of having to feel like we've got to do everything right now all the time but being ready to just sit and wait in God's sovereignty and God's timing? What's the application for us to think through uh, keeping our eyes fixed on the presence of God leading us? Of us not just taking our own path, of just making our own decisions without the, the wisdom of God, without the leading of God? What's, what's our response? What's our response to this message of consecrate yourselves and be ready to see God do wonders among you? I think the, the obvious application there is for you and I to take a step back and firstly consider our own personal sin. Consider where we're at right now. What's, what's those things that are still in our minds, in our hearts that we're wrestling with, that sin that we are struggling to put to death, the, 
the stuff that we can't seem to get away from, get outside of, whether it's because you've done something, not done something, had something done to you, what is it that we struggle to give over to God, to posture ourselves to see God do something powerfully among us? But then also, what's obvious from this text is there's a very corporate element to this. We're dealing with the nation of Israel. The implication is our whole church. What's the corporate sin that we need to be mindful of? What's the corporate posture that our whole church needs to take in order to see God powerfully at work among us? You know, the past year of City on a Hill Brisbane has been a very interesting year. If you're new with us today or you're new with us in the last few weeks or maybe the last two months even, maybe this is an incredibly, uh, you just haven't picked up on any of this and that would be fantastic news if you haven't picked up on any of this. But it's been a, a whirlwind of a year for our church. And I don't think that no, no matter how involved you were, uninvolved, what information you know, don't know, don't want to know, don't care, whatever it might be, all of us have things in our hearts that we are responsible for to God in how we have thought about other people, in how we have treated other people, in how we have thought about our church, thought about our movement, how we have treated and spoken about one another, to one another, about situations, gossiping behind closed doors. All of us as a whole church have something to come before our Father in heaven, the, the Father of mercy and grace, and come before him and repent of, to posture ourselves to see God do something among us. Now, I'm not saying that after this moment, we're going to walk down to the Brisbane River and God's just going to open it up and we'll all sort of just, for some reason, walk across, dodge the bull sharks on the way. No, we're, I'm not talking, I'm not saying that today we, we can see what's happening in this text. We can, we can take the principles of what's happening. We can, we can come before our good Father in heaven and repent and then sort of straight away there's going to be these incredible, miraculous, amazing things because the truth of it is you and I have been culturally set up to have this high of a bar for what a miracle is when how much of a miracle is it when one person decides to put their trust in Jesus Christ? How much of a miracle is it that you invited a friend to church today and they said yes, that they're sitting in our congregation right now hearing the word of God be proclaimed? How much of a miracle is it that little Edda was born to Dan and Liz a couple of weeks ago? God works in incredible, powerful ways and we've set this bar of what a miracle is at this ridiculous thing of, God, we want to see the Brisbane River open up for some reason. But God working among us is this God's kindness and mercy to us in the small things and the little things and the consistent things. And church, I think we've got an opportunity right now to reposture our hearts individually but corporately as a whole church to put a stake in the ground of, yeah, last year happened. Yeah, there's stuff there and there are lessons that have been learnt but, Father, we are sorry. We're sorry for our part in it. We're sorry for our hearts in it, for our sin in it. And from this day forward, we're going to keep our eyes fixed and focus on the very presence and goodness of God moving forward. And we're going to see God do wonders among us. People continuing to walk through those doors. People continuing to say yes to trusting in Jesus. People being baptized. People having babies. People getting married. Single people loving their lives and serving God and chasing after the goodness of God. 
we're going to see all these incredible things happen because God is good to his people. That part went on much longer than I planned for it. But I want to encourage us to do something right now. I want us to take 30 seconds and just sit quietly, think on our own sin, stuff that we need to bring before our Father in heaven. And maybe that's some stuff that you're personally wrestling with. Maybe it is to do with what happened uh, in our church over the last few years. And there's just stuff in your heart that you've still not been able to give over to God and, and move on from. I'm not saying that from this moment you'll be fine, but I'm saying let's come before our Father in heaven and let's repent. So let's take 30 seconds now, get it in your mind, get it in your heart, and then let's pray together. Let's um, pray together this morning. We're going to pray a prayer of confession, which will be up on the screen. Um, can I encourage you? Let's pray this out loud together before our Father. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Amen, church. The the beauty of bringing our confession before our Father in heaven is he doesn't leave us in that, but through his word, he assures us of his love and mercy towards us. One John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he continues a bit later in 1 John 2, 2 says, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for also the sins of the whole world. Church, this is the gospel. This is the good news. God still leads the way and God still makes a way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says that I am the way, the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. God made a way for you and me to be powerfully saved through the person and work of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He did that by sending Jesus to live perfectly the life that you and I cannot live, which we just understood to be exemplified in the fact that we realized the wrongs in our own hearts. We needed someone to live perfectly on our behalf and Jesus did that and then he died sacrificially upon the cross. The death that you and I deserve for those wrongs, Jesus took that upon himself. And then he was raised to life powerfully three days later, triumphant over sin and over death. 
And the promise is that those who place their trust in Jesus will also be raised to victorious life in him. God leads the way and he made a way. In Jesus, the way has been made for us by Christ's blood. I'm going to skip all of that stuff. I told you today's going to be hard. Let's jump back into the text because just like the people of Israel, we have also uh, postured ourselves to see God do something powerful, to be powerfully at work. And now the people get to witness God powerfully at work. Uh, Verses So the the people come down, Joshua says that uh, he instructs the priests there to take the Ark of the Covenant down, their feet are to touch the water, and at that point, God will begin to work. The people are to be at their distance, they're consecrated, they're ready, they're willing, they're watching the very presence of God lead the way, and then verse 16 tells us about how God makes a way. Verse 16 says, The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, and the city that is beside Serethan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. This is an incredible thing. God opens up the waters. Uh, but also, uh, just a moment before that, the author wants us to understand something particular about the river at this point in the year. Normally, the river is probably between like one and three metres in depth and probably 25 to 30 metres in width. So still a pretty dif- difficult task to get an entire nation across a river that size. But the author wants us to know that it's flood season and the river is bloated well out of control. It is swollen all over the place. As Brisburnians, I think we can appreciate what a flooded river looks like, yeah? And not just the size of it, but the, the torrent of it, its current that is moving, back, moving fa- um, incredibly fast at really high speeds. And so the might of God is so powerfully on display. It's not just some little trickle of a creek that God just sort of drops a log on and now there's a, a way to walk over. It's an entire swollen, flooded river that God stops at one side and the waters go, you know, the rest of the water goes into the ocean and does its thing and God opens up dry land for the people to cross. This is an incredible miracle of God's power, of God's might and God's mercy to his people. In chapter 3, we see that God leads the way, the people followed the very presence of God, and God makes a way. He opened up the waters for the people to cross. And therefore, as we come to chapters 4 and 5, we are to remember. Chapter 4 picks up on uh, the single sentence in chapter 3 about choosing 12 men. So chapter 4, verse 2 to 3, it says, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe and man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Um, now, there's this image of some rocks on a desert. That's not Joshua's rocks, all right? 
but that is uh, a fairly good assumption, scholars think, of what uh, at least the rocks would have looked like and possibly even the way that they were set up as a memorial. These rocks would have been something that a man can carry and probably carry for quite a few kilometres to get from the midst of the middle of the Jordan River to where they were going to camp um, and where the camp of Gilgal was set up. So this might seem like a strange um, strange sort of circumstance, a bit of a strange situation. But as I said at the start, you and I are much more familiar with the whole concept and practice of intentionally remembering something than it might seem when we come across this weird story of getting some rocks out of a river and setting it up as a memorial. But firstly, we've got that Anzac Day um, thought. We would set up, we set up statues, we build uh, cenotaphs and monuments out of stones. We're used to that happening. But also... I was thinking about this during the week and came across a New York, New York Times article on nostalgia. So nostalgia used to be considered a, a mental malady. It used to be considered a, um, a condition of the mind that was brought on from melancholy and uh, it was a bit like a sickness. It was something to be treated. Uh, but new research shows that it actually has a positive effect on us. It, it, nostalgia usually happens for us when we are feeling homesick or we might be feeling a bit down, and so we smell something that we remember our grandmother cooking or we see something that just triggers a memory in our mind of something uh, that, like good that happened in the past, and it brings us this warm and fuzzy nostalgic feeling. And so psychologists are saying that it's actually a good thing for us today to experience nostalgia and nostalgia is a, a powerful way of reminding us of what's happened in the past, of good things that are there in our past. Again, things like Anzac Day, plaques, statues, museums, other religions even have shrines. So this whole concept of remembering the past, of seeing something and thinking back to something is not all that unfamiliar to us. We're probably just not used to doing it with rocks from a river. But ultimately... It's a way of, sorry, God, sets, God instructs Joshua to set up these stones as a memorial and ultimately it's for the purpose of passing on the story of God's might and mercy. Let's reread chapter 4, 19 through to 24. It says, Then the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho and those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever." Church, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That was the very purpose of setting up those stones. It's the very purpose of God calling the people to remember. And it makes us ask the question how are we setting ourselves up to remember? How are we setting ourselves up to tell our children, to tell our friends, to tell our neighbours? How are we reminding ourselves of God's goodness? Dale Ruff Davis says that one of the greatest enemies of our faith is forgetfulness. And I want to ask the question, like, how, are we, how are we setting up our mornings 
and our evenings? Do we wake up and read the news or scroll social media? Is the culture of the world around us the first and or the last thing that we consume before sleep? Hannah and I have been recently convicted of this. Uh, To be really honest, I was recently convicted as yesterday. Um, As I was in this text and I'm thinking about how this applies for you and I today, I've felt the, the ping of the Holy Spirit say it, like just that, that thing you get when you're like, wow, I'm right in the middle of this right now. I'm waking up in the morning and my first thought is like, oh, what's happening in the world? Or, um, you know, who's saying what about who? Um, and would, it's just, if you're anything like me, it's so easy to just pick up your phone, start scrolling, start uh, bringing in information to our minds of just the world around us, everything that's going on, every, everybody's stuff and all the things happening. And usually there's a bit of time before I even get to sit down and be in God's Word or come before my Father in Heaven and, and pray. At night, usually the last thing that Hannah and I are doing, a, uh, well, last night was a cricket, so that's a tiny bit more holy, but usually... <laughs> Usually the last thing we're doing is watching some sort of show on Netflix or whatever it might be and we'll, we'll turn that episode off and then we'll get into bed. But this, this text, this, this call for the people of Israel to remember the power of God, what he's done for them, how he led their way, how he's made their way, it reminded me, it convicted me to think, how am I setting myself up in the morning and in the evening to remember God's goodness towards me, to remember God's goodness towards us in the gospel, that the only reason we are gathered here this morning is because God first loved you and I and he brought us to spiritual life through the power of his spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. How are we setting ourselves up to wake up in the morning and instead of consuming more information about what's happening in the world and the tragedies going on or the gossip from our our friends or just what's happening on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be, how are we turning away from those things and setting ourselves up to firstly remember the goodness of God and then go to bed at night thinking and dreaming on the goodness of God? I want to ask you those same questions. I'm not going to give you practical answers because I think that's going to be different for each of us. But for me, when I wake up in the morning, my first thing is no longer going to be to pick up my phone, check email, check messenger, check Facebook, check the news. My first thing is now going to be to go and read God's Word. When I go to bed at night, sure, Hannah and I might watch a Netflix episode or the the cricket, but when I'm in bed, if Hannah's still awake, we'll do this together. She's usually not, so I'll do it by myself. I'm going to read I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to remind myself of God's goodness before my eyes shut for the night. During the day, how do we set up our family life? How do we set up our house? Uh, one of the commentators talking on this um, was talking about how they set up their house to be very intentional evangelistically when people come in like, "Oh, there's a Bible sitting there." Points of just remembering God's goodness, points of showing the world. There's this, there is this evangelistic appeal here in uh, Joshua 4.24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty. I've gone far too long on points one and two. So point three is simply going to be this. 
In chapter 5, we get to see incredible things happen. The people are now on the other side of the Jordan River. They're camping at Gilgal, and God says to them, circumcise the men, because they haven't been circumcised. Uh, this, this new generation was not circumcised in the wilderness, yet another um, falling in the, in the sins of that previous generation. And so Joshua says, circumcise these men now. And then the God says to Joshua, now I have rolled uh, away the reproach of Egypt from you. They have been, uh, there's this been this proper bang, like proper uh, separation from what happened in Egypt and their slavery and their, their encampment in the wilderness there. They are now free. They're on the other side of the Jordan. They are now in the promised land. And what do they do? They circumcise, they heal. And in that healing period, they take Passover together. They remember, they celebrate with uh, visible actions and words and activities, the goodness of God to the people uh, with their uh, God's um, passing over them back in Egypt when God passed over the Israelites but uh, killed the Egyptian firstborns. And they're passing through the Red Sea and now they're passing through the Jordan River. They celebrate God's goodness, his might and his mercy to them. They remember. And then there is... One more really strange thing. Sorry, at the end of... Don't worry about the strange thing. Sam Lowe's going to be here next Sunday. He'll take care of the strange thing. All right. <laughs> at the end of uh, this section on um, the Passover, so in Joshua 5, verse 10 through to 12, what's incredible, from verse 11 onward, it starts to talk about how they ate of the produce of the land. Unleavened cakes and patched grain... And the manna ceased that day after they ate of the produce of the land. There was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Church, this is God's beginning to fulfill his promise of them being in the promised land and eating and taking their fill of a land flowing with milk and honey. Church, this has incredible repercussions for you and I today. Firstly, we can trust God to be true to his promises. It's right there, written down and evidenced for you and I. But also, I want to pray. I want us to posture ourselves for this year. We have spent a bit of time thinking of our wrongs. We have brought those things to God. We have positioned ourselves to keep our eyes on the presence of God leading us and making a way for us. Church, let's ready ourselves to see God work powerfully among us, to taste and see more of God's goodness to our church in more and more people coming through those doors and saying yes to Jesus Christ, to more and more people being baptised, to more and more people going into all the world around them to their neighbours to proclaim the goodness of Jesus, to see more and more people giving um, sacrificially and generously of their time and their finances, of sharing all things in common and genuinely and deeply loving one another and being the very community and people of God that we are called to be in God's goodness and kindness towards us. As the band comes, let's pray. This prayer is inspired from Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? 
You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Father, may your wondrous deeds be ever in our hearts and minds. May we continue to look to Jesus and daily remind one another that you in your great love and mercy lead the way and you have made a way that we might be with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.